With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa Pork Farmer. Thank you to the Iowa Pork Consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, exile brewing, E-X-I-L-E, for me. Podcast with Miller and Dace coming at you as February is cruising on by, Steve. You can probably see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, as far as desolation is concerned. You probably only have 45 or 60 more days of it left, so you should be feeling pretty good about that as uh, winter's coming to an end. Iowa basketball fans, boy. You know, Steve. Up yours. <laughs> I, I 45 to 60 days, seriously. Uh, go take a giant. Go take a giant leap. Yeah, it was like eighty-three. I know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pull a zobble yet. Give me a few more years. Um, Iowa basketball. You know, in college basketball in general, when you live in the upper Midwest, and the winter months are just not all that much fun, pursuant to the weather. Basketball is. Gosh, growing up was a great distraction. You know, it helped winter. Mm-hmm. Helped winter just fly by. And the years when your basketball team that you root for isn't very good, boy, it makes winners really hard. Um, we all remember the Licklider era. Um, seemingly more often not, the Alford era. You as a Michigan fan certainly remember your decade of irrelevance, missing the NCAA tournament before John Beeline came there. It kind of sucks. And for Iowa basketball fans, this winter, it is, boy, tell you what. If Iowa loses their next three games, meaning their last two games at Minnesota and home against Northwestern, which they're more than capable of losing both of those, that'll put them at 19 losses on the regular season and a potential first-round loss in the Big Ten basketball tournament for 20. 20 losses. And potentially a 3-15 and record in the Big Ten if they lose their next two. And... I decided in what in what's not a banner year for the Big Ten. Let's be it, honest. That's that that's another great point. And yeah. I went and looked through the record books. I can't find a year where Iowa ever lost fifteen games regular season in Big Ten play. 
Now, the talent on this year's Iowa team, player for player, dwarfs anything that Licklider put on the floor, in my opinion. But this team is... They got a shot at having the worst Big Ten regular season in as far as losses are concerned in Iowa history. And I cannot believe we're having that discussion right now. If you would have told me this in October, I'd have slapped you across the face and said, get out, get out of here. No way. No way. This team is going to win at least 10 Big Ten games. They might win three. And I don't know that I've ever been. And I picked them to win 10. I don't know that I've ever missed a basketball prediction by seven games before. Yeah. It's um, it's depressing. And a lot of the years I did sports talk radio full-time for a living, we had seasons where both Iowa and Iowa State were not making NCAA tournaments. It got so depressing at one point, I, I did a show where I – came on the air and pretended it was 1986. One of your best shows ever. Yeah, we did the bumper music. We had Johnny Orr on, Bill Frieder on. We had the Vanilla Gorilla on talking about how, you know, they're not sure where their coach is leaving. They believe the rumors coach is leaving for USC. I mean, we played the whole thing up because it just got so depressing this time of year when they weren't any good. And when you look at a team – that right now I believe is top 25 nationally in offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. And I would make the argument if they're not in the weakest, you know, in football we have a power five. I think in basketball we have a power six because I think it's really the Catholic League, all the, the old Catholic schools that remain in the old Big East. Uh, that's, that's a major conference when you look at how strong that right. league is. And – if, if the Big Ten this year is not the weakest power six league, it, it certainly is, you know, neck and neck with the Pac-12 for that description. And you're top 25 nationally in offensive efficiency. And in that conference, you may end up having arguably your worst WNL ever. Because so, here, here's what top 25 in offensive efficiency tells me. It tells me talent isn't your issue mm-hmm. um, you know ultimately you can get crappy teams and guys that aren't that talented to play great defense that's called Dick Bennett's Wisconsin Tony Bennett's Virginia frankly okay um, what you can't do where talent really shows up is on the other end of the floor I mean if you can't create offense that's where that's where athletic deficiencies are are exploited in basketball. And so this isn't a talent issue. Um, I think the team has been very poorly coached, has really not developed at all the entire season. There's been no meaningful attempt whatsoever to create a combination that removes what is the clear obvious most obvious weakness Iowa has and yet they don't really when I watch attempt to mitigate it at all and I I go to one possession at the end of the Indiana Iowa game yesterday I think perfectly illustrates this I I don't want to pick on the Bohannon kid like I didn't want to pick on Kyle McCann I don't want to pick on Matt Sherman like I said last week he's being asked to do what he cannot do what he can do is 
be a high-achieving role player at this level, meaning a guy that is, is, a, is a third option scorer with his ability to light it up from the outside when defenses overextend uh, either against Cook or if you had a more if you had someone else that could play a two-man game with Cook, and then he's the weak side option. But at the end of the Indiana-Iowa game, the most important possession of the game, Iowa comes all the way back to tight in the final minute. They try to run a two-man game with Bohannon and Cook, and it goes nowhere. It's completely stalled. It's completely stymied, and for two reasons. One, Cook, frankly, doesn't have the foot speed to truly threaten the Indiana defense. So they don't have to overextend to hedge through the pick in order to prevent his penetration, they essentially can just play it straight up because they know he can't get around the corner against him. You mean Bohannon? This essentially, yeah, I mean Bohannon, yes. This essentially removes Cook from the equation now because he keeps having to reset and hold his screen so long to give Bohannon time to do something with the ball. He's no longer an offensive threat. And the second thing it does is, is, it, is it takes Bohannon away from where he should be in that setup he should be the guy on the baseline or on the other opposite baseline yeah, or the other skip, wing yeah. yeah where they he, he makes you pay for overplaying that two-man game and that possession went absolutely nowhere if i remember right it ended with cook being called for stepping out of bounds and that was essentially iowa's last real chance to win that game and that play to me is a microcosm uh, and of, of Iowa's entire season, when you look at teams know that you're playing your weakest defender at the top of the key, which means, you know, here's this is what college basketball is today. For those of you that are too young to remember when North Carolina ran four corners and and Tom Izzo actually ran 85 sets and Indiana ran a motion offense that – um, if Steve Alford didn't come off at least three screens or they didn't pass the ball at least four times and shot before that, Bob Knight would throw a damn chair onto the floor. All right, We don't play that way anymore. This is college basketball today. One set is called. If it goes nowhere, then a ball screen or a one – coach calls for a ball screen or a one-four set up up top, and we just try to get the point guard, whoever's your best ball handler, quickest guy with the dribble to penetrate – and if he can create his own shot, great. If not, then he kicks it out to somebody else when the defense collapses on him. That's essentially what college basketball is almost at 95% of programs at the, at the major college level right now. And, and people, want, and people I, wonder why we say college basketball reached its zenith in the 80s and early 90s, and it's not the same sport that it was then. I mean, will you correct me? Am I? Did you think I'm mischaracterizing no, what the sport is now? No, it's, there's, there's, there's hero ball everywhere. Yes. So Tom Izzo does still have 85 sets. He just only calls one every every possession. And then if it's not there, whoever the point guard is, name one. Cleves, Mar- Marcus Taylor, you know, Cassius Winston now. Ball screen, and here, or here we go. That, that's what every college team does now. And, uh, and so what happens is Iowa play, can play great defense 
or at least functional defense for 20 to 25 seconds. When you get down to the end of the shot clock, a team knows all they have to do is isolate their quickest ball handler at the top of the key, and they're going to be able to get some kind of a good look. And then if Iowa overcompensates on defense or goes to a zone defense, so that which is what they've done the last couple of games, so that they can they can avoid that dribble penetration, they know if they just do one one extra quick reverse pass on the perimeter, they're essentially playing what we used to call when we were kids around the world at the three point line. They're just moving guys around the three-point line until you get an open look and they get buried and and i've got to believe if you have a team that is capable of being in the top 25 nationally in offensive efficiency somewhere on your roster you can come up with some combination john that allows you to have more quick quickness and athleticism on that perimeter in order to avoid watching the same wound just get opened and bleed out Every single game. I, I and I you know, I'm not even an Iowa fan. I'm frustrated watching it because I'm a fixer. I don't like, you know, I can't handle it when I see the same mistakes being made all the time. But I, I just I, I'm not I'm not sure, you know, it, it's one thing when you have a really young team and you have these kind of lumps like a Penn State last year, and you know, this is a great recruiting class and a bunch of guys coming back and you see where the roles are. I, I, you know, John Crispin at the Big Ten Network said during the uh, Michigan-Iowa game the other night that he thought Iowa was a top three or four team in the Big Ten next year. I don't know, you know. I mean, I, this is going to have to be the most improved defensive team in the United States of America because the only other school right now in the Power Six that's lower than them in uh, defensive efficiency is Washington State. And they're, worn, they're nowhere near as good on the offensive end of the floor as Iowa is. And so when you have that huge of a discrepancy, that is systemic. You're allowing your every team has a weak link. All right. Every team. And this is college basketball in 2018. You're not lining up, you know, 15 McDonald's All-Americans anymore. And nowadays, all the McDonald's All-Americans thinks they're one and done. So if you're one of the five schools that actually signs them now, nobody watch Duke. Man, Mike Krzyzewski's over there pulling his pulling his hair out because this team doesn't play defense. You know, 35 out of 40 minutes a night. So it's you've got your job as a coach, particularly if they're giving you a 10 million damn dollar buyout is to figure out some sort of combination on the court so that the same weakness is not getting exploited over and over and over again. And what you're doing is you're taking away from what Bohannon offers you on the other end of the floor. He finally got some nice looks from three down the stretch in Indiana. The kid's just freaking bricking him. He's exhausted, man. This has been a very poorly coached team. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. Well, it has been because it begins with how you've constructed the roster. And, and again, these are, these are some things that we talked about in November that we knew were going to rear their ugly heads the entire season, and they have, because college basketball is a game about guards. And, yes, Iowa lost Christian Williams in October. And, yes, Connor McCaffrey has been able, unable to play, really, because of multiple health-related issues. But even if you had both of those guys, I think if you had Christian Williams, you would have been better defensively because he can go out and stick one of your best guards 
on defense. So Iowa would have been at a better defensive team and therefore probably would have won three or four more games if they would have had him. But still, you, you don't have that you know quick penetrator at point guard. So, yeah, but as far as defense is concerned, and we'll we'll talk about your Crispin comment in a second. I I I don't see this team. I don't see how this team is any better on the defensive end, man to man, next year than they are now. They get Joe Wieskamp coming in and, and a Fred a Frederick kid from Kentucky who's certainly not a lockdown defender at a guard. Um, so you're going to struggle in the same ways next year that you're struggling now unless you get a grad transfer point guard or a JUCO that comes in, and who knows what that person's going to bring. So to me, starting the second that this season is over, and every time you have the opportunity now in the off season to have out-of-season practices like, like they do, workouts, whatever, you need to commit yourself to a zone defense. You need to be a zone defensive team for the entire season next year because it's the only chance you have. And then you need to learn how to rebound out of a zone. You need to learn, Isaiah Moss, if you're on the top of the zone, that you don't, mm-hmm. that you don't have to come over and overplay the, the pass when it goes to the wing. You don't, you're, you're not running a trapping defense, so you don't need to do that. You don't need to play the zone that way. You just need to come over and be in the area because when the ball gets skipped or reversed, you can't afford to have... You know, name your Michigan player from the game earlier this week who was wide open at the top of the key because Isaiah Moss overcommitted to a wing pass and Iowa doesn't play a trapping 2-3 zone or a trapping zone at all on the outside. So they, they need to teach the zone all summer, all spring, and all fall to become a zone team next winter. And if they don't do that, if they don't commit to that, and Fran tries to say, well, you know, the, the game against Michigan is the first time I ever started in a zone in my life. I can't stand coaches when they sit there and they degrade a zone defense. Tom Davis played zone defense all the time, and he also had a press. He had a gimmick. Why is that? Because he wasn't able to recruit McDonald's All-Americans on a regular basis. He had Troy Skinner as his point guard. He had... Uh, sometimes it seemed like a group of misfits out there, but everybody knew their role and everybody played their role. And Iowa forced a ton of turnovers. And Iowa played his own. And yeah, Tom Davis's teams were really close to being barely above 500 more often than not. But right about now, you take that. You got to know who you are and work it. And don't just not play zone because you don't like zone. You'd rather be a man to man team. That's stubborn, and that'll get you fired. Well, there's been plenty of great teams in history that played zone. I mean, John Wooden's 2-2-1 full-court pressing defense at UCLA. John Thompson emulated that when he got Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Judd Heathcote, you know, when he won it, was a, won a national championship, he played a 2-3 matchup zone when he had – he played that most of his time at Michigan State going back to me at Greg Kelser and Magic Johnson. I mean, Syracuse has, has won, a, had won a national championship and been to multiple Final Fours under Jim Beheim playing a 2-3 matchup zone. So Temple. the idea that, that that a zone is a give-up defense, John, uh, is just nuts. It's not a, it's not a gimmick give-up defense at all, but it's also something you have to you, can, you have to commit to, that, that you can't really run it situationally unless it is a certain kind of a trapping system or something like that, like 
you know, when we were kids, Jim Valvano would throw it in every now and then just to mix teams up with that. But, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to commit to it, you have to commit to it. And, you know, when you're coaching, when your head coach says to the media, always keep in mind whether the team is good or team is bad. The coach is about on average is about 50% as honest with the media as he is with his own team. Okay. So if a coach is saying to the medium, oh, hell, you know, I've never coached this before. We'll see how it goes. What do you think he's saying? What, what kind of vibe do you get that from your players? All right. You, the worst position to ever be in, I think, as a coach is when you're, is when you're, when you're doing what I like to call trying stuff. All right. 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 Where, where there's no rhyme or reason to what's going on here. And, and the kids, the, well, I hate to call them the kids, but they feel like kids to me now that I'm 44 years old. But the, the, the players, they get it. Players know. They always know. And so they, they, they know whether a coach says it or his body language. They know when you really believe in this or when you're saying, oh, hell, I'm tired of watching Bohannon get depanted at the point of attack. So let's just play his own defense. Well, I mean, if, if that's the attitude that you give off, that is the result you will get back from the players. So I think that, again, is a coaching issue. And you have to sell that to your team as uh, this isn't we're doing we're not doing this because we can't defend the other way. You have to sell the and, and we waited till the very end of the damn season to try it. You have to you have to sell it to your team as in hey, this is how we are going to make teams. We're going to punish them for the amount of points we can put up at the other end of the floor. Is we're going to make them show they can move the ball. We're going to make them show they can be patient and look for a good shot rather than take advantage of the first mismatch they have off the dribble and, and, and play us one-on-one. We're going to make them play us as a team on the defensive end of the floor. If, but it, if you're selling it to the media like, well, you know, it's the first time we've ever tried that, then the players, they get the, they get the exact same vibe in practice as well. So, again, I, I think that's a coaching thing, man. Yeah, I, I think that we're all shocked by it, and I think Fran's all shocked by the way that things played out. Now, you mentioned something earlier. John Crispin, Big Ten Network announcer, uh, was doing a game with Dave Refson, the Iowa-Michigan game, saying they expect Iowa to be a top three or top four team in the Big Ten next year. And you did some homework and went through this before we just sit here and say, well, yeah or no. Well, let's talk about why. First of all, I don't think that's going to be possible for the reasons that we just laid out. As you mentioned, they're a top 25 offensive efficiency team in the country. Now, if they improve, if they improve like, you know, 50% on defense, they might even be able to make the NCAA tournament with that. I agree. But, yeah. But want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Again, what we just talked about, how are you going to improve? 
Well, you're going to need to commit to something and be something and not just try something. So this is the research you put in. Let's go team by team here. Illinois, they've got zero seniors. They have one, Malcolm Brown. That's a typo, my okay. bad. One senior. Yep. And Illinois um, is what now? Are they 3-12 and 12 or something along those? No, maybe they're 4-12. Maybe they won today. I need to. I need yeah, to... They, beat, they beat Nebraska today. Yep. Okay, so they beat, they beat Nebraska. And that puts them, yeah, they beat Nebraska. They still have three more games. So they're not a good team, haven't been all year, but they return pretty much everybody. The recruiting class ranked 93rd. They only had one recruit uh, who is a five-star player. I believe it's that point guard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the only scholarship they had, so they made it count. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, exactly. And they probably could have run somebody off and got the talent kid, uh, but he's mm-hmm. going to Iowa State. And he's really, really good. And I think Illinois is going to really, really regret they didn't cream somebody and make room there. Indiana. <laughs> nice reference. I like that. <laughs> well, it is what it is, man. Indiana. I like that. Uh, five seniors, two starters, um, 20th ranked recruiting class with four four-star players. Going to be a younger team, but as we know in college basketball, when you have the talent, youth, you know, it might bug in November. It might irritate you sometime in January, but by the time they get to March, you know they'll they'll, they'll be a better team than they are right yeah, now. Yeah, Indiana strikes me as the kind of team you don't want to be playing at this time next year. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and there's there's teams like that every year that we talk about, and Indiana is going to be one of those. And Indiana this year, let me see if I can find this real quick. Indiana is at gosh, after beating Iowa, they are they're nine not, and seven. They're nine and seven. I mean. Yeah. They're nine and seven with a team that some nights looks horrible, just looks really bad. But you know, they're doing work. Um, Iowa zero zero. Well, Dom Yule's the only senior, but he's hardly in the rotation. I mean, you talk about trying stuff. McCaffrey, you know, inserting Yule into the lineup a few weeks ago early in games. That's like, oh man, look out. Forty um, ninth ranked recruiting class. Joe Wieskamp is a four-star player. There's no doubt about it. He's a player that's going to come in and play for you on the wing. Consensus uh, national top 50 recruit. No question about it. Yeah. Isaiah, Isaiah Moss has had an incredibly inconsistent year, and I'm concerned that that's, he's going to have an inconsistent career, where some night he can go out and get you 28, and the next night he's going to get you two. Uh, I think Wieskamp will probably be more steady than that. But Wieskamp is not a player who's going to be able to take defenders off the dribble to the rack. Just not going to do it. He's going to struggle to create his own shot at the next level, in my opinion. Um, and, and you asked a question. Who's your point guard? Well, Jordan Bohannon is going to be the point guard. And unless they get you know a Juco or a grad transfer to come in. So it, they're going to have to do it with defense, as we've already stated. Maryland, three seniors. As you mentioned, none is a double-figure score. Recruiting class, 13th in the country. Two consensus top 40 players, one top 100 players. They recruit at a very high level. Um, Justin Jackson, as you pointed out, returning from injury. And you say maybe this is the favorite in the Big Ten next year. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. Michigan, three seniors, one full-time starter, 14th ranked recruiting class, including two consensus top 75 players. Mo, Mo Wagner, um, 50-50, whether he goes pro or comes back, I think he'll go pro. Um, you say that he's 30th, the 30th pick at the NBA Draft.net website, and you know, I guess if you're there, then you got a decision to make. If Wagner comes back, uh, could be a favorite, otherwise top 25 team. I don't 
have any complaints there because uh, Coach Beeline gets the benefit of the doubt. Kind of getting Bo Ryan status in that regard. Michigan State, three seniors, role players. Tenth-ranked recruiting class, Miles Bridges, he's got to be gone. Jaron Jackson. Yeah, him and Jaron Jackson yeah. are both be gone. They're, they're gone. And then you mentioned Tom Izzo's future. Who knows what kind of fallout there's going to be with Izzo and other members of the Michigan State Athletic Department. Um, the cloudiest future, you say, between now and next year. Um, Minnesota, six seniors. Um, Reggie Lynch, who's been expelled from school. Nate Mason will be gone. 32nd-ranked recruiting class. One of the youngest teams in the league with regards to returning production, I think. Well, I would say that they take a step back, but they're 3-12. and 12. Uh, This is probably going to be more like yeah, what they're going to see Yeah, I guess I was thinking year. in terms of preseason expectations. Oh, I mean, for were, sure. Yeah, They were consensus sure. top 15 team in every poll last fall. So. Well, that included uh, Reggie Lynch and Amir Coffey. And it had, it had right. Lynch, you know, well, let's not even go there. Nebraska, three seniors, one starter, 84th-ranked recruiting class. Uh, you say pretty much the same team they are this year, and will the Big Ten be better next year than this year? That's I'm the not, only question. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, not. I'm not sure on paper. It doesn't look that like it would be. But Northwestern, three seniors, arguably their top two players. Uh, is uh, Gosh, the point guard, why can't I think of his name? McIntosh and Lindsay are the two guys I'm talking about. Okay, well, They're both gone. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's losing McIntosh is, is immense. Uh, another rebuilding year. Ohio State, two seniors, one starter. Top 25 recruiting class. Um, Keita Bates-Diop, who's a junior, currently ranked 38th on NBADraft.net. Boy, it seems like he could be a little higher than that. So you rightly say their outlook will come down to his decision. Penn State, one senior who's a starter. Top 50 recruiting class. Uh, Sophomore guard Tony Carr, he is the engine for them. And uh, he's currently 29th pick at NBA Draft, not yet. And if he comes back, you say they'd be the best Penn State team in many years. I don't disagree with that. Purdue, four seniors, top three players. Uh, big tumble, for sure. Biggest tumble in the league. They're 13-3 and three right now, one game out of first place. Big tumble for them. Rutgers, three seniors. Um, 67th ranked recruiting class. Rutgers is 3-13 and 13 this year. It's Rutgers. And lastly, Wisconsin. One senior role player, 75th ranked recruiting class, both three stars. More experienced, but is this team going to be able to make a big jump? The first thing that stands out at me, Steve, this league doesn't seem like it's going to be all that good next year either. And it's always tough because we thought at this time last year the league was going to be really good. We did. And it's not. You know? When I I look at some of these teams, I I don't think they've been well-coached and well-developed. We talked about Iowa. When I look at Wisconsin, you know, I've I've watched full games of them now. The last two two games they played. Oh boy! Because they played they played us and Dude. then they played Purdue when oh. they were winning that game. So I watched the whole thing. Well, you know, and we're later in the year now. That does not. They don't look like a Big Ten team. They don't. Uh, they look like a Licklider team. They're white and skinny. Now you can be one or two of those things. Okay. Like your politicians, they can be dumb or they can be corrupt. They can't be dumb and corrupt, all right? They can't do that. That's where you're in Jimmy Carter territory. We can't. Like, Americans can't abide that, all right? Your basketball team can be skinny or white, all right? It can't be skinny and white. And that's Wisconsin. They That does not look like a Big Ten team. Watch them on television. 
that that that, that no thank you it, <laughs> they just they physically are not developed you know so i i wonder about the development that goes on inside of that program um i think if you if if you assume and there there are going to be changes and you know i, I think um Bates Diop is the best bet to go pro. Um, I think, you know, the other two kids in Carr and um, Wagner, the reason why I say Bates Diop, I think, is the best bet to go pro, he's already missed a year already with an injury. So I could see him saying, I don't want to take another risk with that. I'm going now. Right. Um, Because I also think a kid that can stroke it from the outside at his size that's the kind of kid that I could see soar up NBA draft boards once we get to Chicago, Portsmouth, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Carr, um, you know, and and Wagner, I think, are right on that Mendoza line. Carr is 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 what is what the NBA is now from a guard standpoint. But there's a lot of those kinds of guys coming out of college basketball now. Wagner's Wagner is probably as polished and developed as he could be on the offensive end. Defensively, though, I, I don't know how he guards a single interior player of significance in the NBA. He's just not that physical yet. Um, the reason why I'm telling you I think it's 50-50 is because like when Trey Burke was a sophomore, they they held senior day festivities for him. They did not do that for Wagner today. He's let he makes lets it be known he loves college basketball. So I, if you made me pick put a gun to my head, I would predict he would go. But the best odds I would put at him going, at best, would be sixty forty. I really do think it's a coin flip up in the air. I could see him pulling a Jess Settles, declaring without an agent to see what happens in Chicago or Portsmouth. But let's say all these guys come back. The whole thing at Michigan State all goes away. Well, I would look at Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, Ohio State. Those are four definite top 25 teams right there. No question about it. I would say Penn State, Indiana are clear NCAA tournament teams. No doubt about it. I would say, um, oh, who am I forgetting here? Um, Michigan, Maryland, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, Illinois, Nebraska. Uh, no, I would say Nebraska and Illinois would be right on the bubble. I could see Illinois making a huge jump in year two under Brad Underwood and bringing in that. To me, Illinois is Illinois next year when we when we go to a twenty-team conference schedule. Illinois next year is either say 14 and 6 or 6 and 14. What do I mean by that? That 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 stud five-star point guard comes in and fits seamlessly into Brad Underwood's system or uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, more Illinois hero ball no matter which right. is a tradition unlike any other no matter who the damn coach is and they disintegrate again. I think that's your that's kind of a feast or famine team in the league. But I actually think there's a decent sh- – if all those guys came back, this would be a much better league than it is next year. But all those guys aren't going to come back. And so I think that puts a lot of things uh, out in the open. And I, I think a lot of college basketball is is out and is, is up for grabs. I think this sport could look a lot different 
next November. Well, if what the FBI is, you know, hinting at, I mean, you, you listened to something, you sent me it, I'll, I'll let you set it up because I don't remember the guy's name, but there could be uh, more more shoes dropping on coaches and corruption. Right. We'll break this down more on the uh, Bigger Ten podcast, but when when you're, when separate Fed sources are telling Pete Thamel at Yahoo and Mark Schlebaugh at ESPN, and those are two of the best investigative reporters in collegiate sports when they're telling those guys as many as eight half of the uh the sweet 16 seeds that came out last week looking ahead to the ncaa tournament could be in the crosshairs of this investigation and that doesn't even include teams that we know already like a miami of florida were bandied about in the original reports mm-hmm. last fall a syracuse a north carolina a duke essentially Every school that had, that gets a one and done is probably going to find themselves, to some extent, suspected of something, whether they're whether they've got the smoking gun or not. But what this is, what this is, what this is, is the Ed Martin saga on a grand scale. Right, right. right. And 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 what I mean by that is the NCA had nothing on Michigan because they had no subpoena power, and Chris Weber just lied to him. Well, all of a sudden, Ed Martin gets dragged in because, you know, all that money you paid is all that under re- unreported income. It's basically money laundering. So the feds are looking at Ed Martin. They Suddenly, Jalen Rose and Chris Weber and these guys all get deposed, and Weber now has to tell the truth under oath. And once that testimony becomes public, now the NCA has the evidence it lacked in its original investigation of the Michigan program. And, and that's what... Which are, that's the same pattern, I think, that's going to play itself out with, with this scenario. So for Iowa to crack the top three, four, I, you know, I thought they had a chance to be a top four, top five this year, and that was wrong. I don't think they lack talent. They just lack the kind of construct in the roster that I think can get to a top three, four team. So thank you to john crispin and dave revson for trying to sprinkle a little frosting of hope around but boy tough to this see. is why i don't think weiss camp helps you that much because how much better are you going to be next year than a top 25 national team in offensive yeah positions? totally how much better it, it, this next year's all about defense yeah. however much they improve defensively will be how much they improve win loss period done next All right, speaking of next, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. We will be talking more Big Ten sports on the Bigger Ten Podcast later this week as well. For Steve, I'm John. We will talk to you soon.